Hello, everybody. Good to see you this morning and worship together. My name is Luke, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, what a beautiful prayer that was by Evelyn. But since we're in church, why don't we pray again? Will you bow, me, bow your heads with me in a brief word of prayer? Dear God, uh, thank you for this opportunity to worship you today. Lord, how could we not gather as you've called us to, to worship you, God, when you are the one, as we sang, who puts the breath in our lungs, God. We could choose not to, but it would be foolish because everything we have and are comes from you, Lord, and you are the source of our life and the reason that we live and the reason that we're here. And so, God, it pleases us to just lift your name up in song, Lord, in conversation, in prayer, and now in the study of your word. And so, God, as we look at these passages, we do ask that you would guide us in our understanding and help us to embrace, Lord, what is accurately shared and consider uh, everything that is said and, and let your Holy Spirit just minister to us through this part of the service as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I saw a scene in an action movie a few years ago where there was a male hero and a female hero in a car together, and it was a very dangerous journey they were on. And so when they pulled over, the female hero looked at the male hero and said, you know, you might need to drive us out of here, so I'm going to explain the kill switch to start the car. And then she rattled off this complicated kill switch to him. It was something like you yank the wheel twice to the left, you push this button, you tap the clutch twice, turn the wheel to the right, and then it starts. And um, she looked at him and she said, you got it? And I'm watching the movie thinking, no, he does not got it. That was a very complicated kill switch and this is a very tense situation. So why don't you please review it three or four more times so we can all feel a little more calm. But of course, it's a super cool action movie. So the hero just says, oh. <laughs> and she gets out of the car and walks away to do something. Of course, a few minutes, oh, actually, like, right away, the bad guys show up. And the bullets start flying. They're under attack. And, she, and he needs to drive them out of there right away. And so, of course, he jumps into the driver's seat. And it takes him a few a few, you know, tries to remember, but because it's a super cool action movie, he eventually yanks the wheel this way and pushes the button and taps the clutch, and the car starts, and they speed out of there just in time to continue on their mission. What do you and I need to remember to continue on in our mission? We have been given a mission by God. It's to know, it's to, well, yes, know Jesus, but it's to make Jesus known to the world. You can't do that if you don't know him. So you have to know him and then make him known to the world. We also have an enemy who the Bible says attacks us, wants to thwart and destroy our efforts to accomplish this mission. And while certainly there's no kill switch we have to remember, there are certain biblical truths that we do need to remember if we're going to successfully continue carrying out the mission of sharing Jesus with the world. And one of those truths is that God is the ultimate ruler of the universe. 
couple weeks ago, Pastor Tim reminded us to be all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. And then Pastor Kevin followed him up and reminded us to be willing to leave our comfort zones for the good of others. And what both of these ideas kind of assume is this idea that God is the ultimate ruler of our universe, meaning he's in charge. In a world that um, seems chaotic, given to chance and brokenness, it's not quite at all as random and meaningless in its details as we sometimes think it is. But actually, there's still a God who through it all is writing an amazing story that brings him glory and brings the ultimate best thing he could give to his people, which is himself. And the way he determines how all these little random pieces of our universe, our lives, our world will go is he puts us where he puts us, when he puts us there, so that as many of us as possible can know him. So, do you have children? You have those children, biblically speaking, because God gave you those children. Because God wants you to share Jesus with those children. Do you have a job? You don't just have that job because it's the one you chose or trained for. We believe that a sovereign ruler of the universe gave you that job and put the people in that workplace around you because he wants them to know Jesus and you're the one who he's called to tell them. Are you in a class at school? Do you have a hobby? Do you speak a certain language? All of these random elements of our lives that we think are just the way it is isn't just the way it is. But God is telling a story where he wants everyone to know him and where he's carefully placed you and me, those who know him, in the places he's placed us, around the people he's placed us, so that we can share him with the world. We're going to start by looking at a passage in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Paul's doing what Paul does in Acts 17, being a missionary. And he finds, or he is in Athens, when he gets the opportunity to be invited to share the gospel there with the group of philosophers. And starting in verse 22, as we read here, listen to how we see that one of the things we need to remember if we're going to continue on that mission that God's given us, is that God is sovereign. 
says this, starting in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Agrippas, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Here it comes, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So, God, so Paul here witnesses to, to Christ. He says, God made the world. Okay? And he put everyone, he says, where he put them and when he put them there so that they might find God. And I wonder if Paul's thinking in the back of his head, maybe with a chill up his spine, and it's my job, like it's the job of every Christian, to help you find him. It just kind of gives me chills to think about that he is living out the very thing he's preaching. God put you here in this time so that you would find God. And I'm telling you who he is. And I wonder if we actually had this same attitude if we really believe that God is sovereign, that he wants everyone to know him, and that he's put them where he's put them just so they could, if we might kind of feel a chill go up our spine as we walk into the office tomorrow morning and we see all of our colleagues who we work with and we realize that God didn't just put us in this workplace surrounded by these people, to do work, as important as work is, but that he made us at this time in history and put us in this place so that I could share Jesus with these people in my workplace. Or if we wake our kids up tomorrow morning for school and realize for a refreshed second maybe that God doesn't just, didn't just give me these kids to feed them and clothe them and give them practical advice before they move out someday. But he wants me to be a living example of Jesus to them and to share the Lord with them and to raise them in the faith. Or when you gather with your friends who share your hobby or walk into your classroom at school, I wonder if we would have a refreshed sense of purpose and mission if we remembered that God has sovereignly put us there for a mission and for a purpose. I went to Fullerton Junior College. I started at junior college, as many people do. 
before I went to university. I was there for three years, but don't tell anybody. I think you're only supposed to be there for two. But um, while I was there for three years, I never told anybody about Jesus. God even gave me an extra year. I didn't tell anybody about Jesus. <laughs> That's not to say that I didn't make friends. I did. I had some great friendships I, I formed while I was there. I even became friends with some of my teachers. In junior college, you have teachers who are like three years older than you sometimes. I had group projects that I worked on, and I really enjoyed my three years there. Didn't tell anybody about Jesus. And I would love to tell you that it was kind of this struggle inside of me where I was like, oh, should I tell him about Jesus? Should I not tell him about Jesus? But I don't think it was. I don't think it even really crossed my mind too much, to be honest with you, to invite someone to serve the homeless with me or invite someone to a hike with my friends from church or to pray for someone. Nah. I was just there to go to school and to move on. That was the only thing that was really on my mind. Until a few years went by, and I kind of started to realize that I'd missed a golden opportunity. I kind of started to think about the fact that I had been in the ideal mission field, surrounded by people my same age, taking a lot of the same classes together, sitting for hours in the gorgeous Fullerton sun between classes on a daily basis, talking about lots of things, but I never told a soul about the Lord. And this sorrow kind of started to come over me as the years went by, what I'd missed. And so one day I finally went back. Some friends and I, we got some training, and we went back. And we went back for weeks and months, and we had hundreds of wonderful conversations with, with students about the Lord as they sat in the sun between their classes. And it was wonderful, and I'm glad I got to be a part of it. It was a huge blessing what I got to see God do. I don't think it was anything close to what it could have been if I had shared Jesus when I was a student there. If I had shared Jesus when I wasn't just a passing through guy for a couple hours a week, putting it into my schedule, but when I was just there because I was there with my friends who were my friends because I just loved them as people. And if I had been looking for opportunities to just say, hey, that sounds really tough. I'm a Christian. Could I pray for you right now? And it's not just a guy passing through the school, but it's his friend. If I had been praying for people, inviting people to serve with me or to go to church with me. And so let's not let the next 10 years go by where our kids are marrying now and they're gone. And we realize, you know what? I did a great job raising them. I fed them, I clothed them, and I taught them some stuff about life. But I kind of forgot the most important part, the actual mission that God himself gave me to do what I could to let them know the Lord. Let's not retire in 10 years from now with a great big party at our, at our office where everyone claps and cheers and we leave and we never come back and say to ourselves, you know what? I worked hard. I went far. I provided for my family, but I missed the whole reason I was there.
It wasn't just to make money or provide for my family, as important as that is. But God gave me a mission, and I ignored it for 10 years. Let's instead remind ourselves of what Paul said here, that God created the world and put us where he put us and when he put us there so that we might find him. And let's remember that it's us who gets to carry that message to those who he's placed around us, which we can do even though it's scary because we believe that God loves us. The sweetest joy of a Christian's life is to know that they are forgiven and accepted by God. That come highs or lows or darkness or light in this world, we've settled our account with our Maker. We're forgiven. We're loved. Nothing means more to us than our identity in Christ. In fact, it means so much to us that on the rare occasion where following Jesus presents an opportunity to suffer if we're going to follow him, we consider it a joy. We consider it a pleasure to say, Lord, I'm glad to do something that might make me feel a little awkward right now when I ask this person if I can pray for them because I think you're calling me to pray for them because I know you suffered so much more for me. God, your love means so much to me that it doesn't even occur to me that when I share in our sharing time at work, when everyone's sharing personal things, it doesn't even occur to me, Lord, that when I share about you, that I'm a Christian and what you're teaching me, when everyone else is sharing about their vacation and this and that as we go around the circle, Lord, my boss might not be a big fan of that. I might even get passed up for a raise. But Lord, this is my chance to winsomely, graciously, carefully, maybe suffer just a teeny little bit for the one who I love, which is why it's so important to remember God's love for us. Because we know God loves us, and his love is final. Sometimes we just don't think about it very much, do we? Sometimes we don't spend much time with God. We don't read about his love for us in Scripture or, or experience the, the palpable presence of his love through communion and prayer. And so sometimes when those opportunities to share Jesus with someone comes up, we're not willing to take the risk. Oh, well, I think God's calling me to invite this person to go feed the homeless. But they don't look like the type to do that anyway. Oh, I think God might be at wanting me to ask this person if I can pray for him because they just shared something really painful. But I don't know. We're at work. Might not be the right time. You see, the farther and farther away we get from the greatest joy of life, 
the love and grace of knowing Jesus, the more and more we see the suffering as something that's a little too much. We're going to look at a passage in Romans chapter 8. So we'll go to Romans chapter 8. And we'll start reading in verse 15. So listen here how we can do this. We need to remember, I should say, that God loves us if we're going to continue on our mission. He says this in verse 15. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. He describes this relationship that we have with God. He says it's this one where we call God our Father, just like Jesus had the audacity to relate to God as if he was his own father. So yeah, we do the same thing. We call God our Father and says the Spirit of, that's the Spirit of God himself bears witness with us that it's true, that we really are his children. In this secret inner way, we experience the love of God where he says, yes, you really are mine. Which is one of the ways we know that we're his. And then he says, he lists another way, another evidence. He says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. One of the evidences that we have received this love from God is that we learn how more and more to be willing when necessary to suffer for him. And I think when it comes to this topic of carrying out our mission, we need to acknowledge there's a lot of times where you might suffer for him when you're carrying out your mission. Why? Which is why I think it's so important not to forget that incredible love and grace that he has for us. Because when you're spending time letting God's love for you go from your head down to your heart, through prayer, through communion with friends, through reading the word. It's kind of like a privilege to suffer for the one who you love so much. It's kind of like a small thing because you love him so much and he suffered so much for you that it's almost incomparable what you might suffer in a situation to share him with someone else. One of my, I had dinner with uh, one of my friends about a week ago, and I didn't know that that dinner we were having, he was showing up there, and he was going to break a three-day fast that he'd just been on. But he shows up for dinner, and he's in a good mood, 
and his wife says, oh, honey, tell him what happened at the grocery store just now. So he says, oh, yeah, um, we were at the grocery store just now, and I'm coming through the checkout line, and I heard the cashier talking about spiritual stuff with the person in front of me. So when it was my turn to get up there, I said, hey, I heard you guys talking about spiritual stuff. And he said, as the conversation went on, I said, yeah, I'm spiritual too. I'm a, I'm a Christian. And he said, right about then, the person behind him in line was like, hey, if you're going to talk, talk on your own time. <laughs> so he was like, all right, well, you know, nice, nice meeting you. And, you know, he, he went out to his car. He says, so I get out to my car, and I only bought one thing, a loaf of bread. So I get out to my car, and, and the loaf of bread's completely stale. It's hard as a rock. Like, so I had to go back inside. So I go back inside. I get another loaf of bread. And this time, there's no one else in the checkout lane. So it's just me and him. And he has lots of questions. He says, as soon as I come back to the lane, he says, so you're a Christian. So, so why are there so many different denominations of Christianity then? And then he said, so, so if God's real, then how could there be so much suffering in the world? He says, no one else shows up for 10 minutes. And he just pours out all these questions he has. And we just chat about the Lord and about God. And I'm listening to it, and I'm like, wow. It's almost like God made your bread stale so you could go back inside and talk to him. And he looks at me like, I'm, like I have so little faith. He's just like, yeah. I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> but he didn't mention this connection. But, you know, as I, as I came to find out that he just finished this three-day fast where he'd been seeking God's will for some direction in his life for an important matter, and where he apologized because his, his voice was raspy, he said, because on his long commute to work, he'd just been pouring his heart out to God. I just couldn't help but see the connection between somebody who's so overwhelmed by God's presence, his love, his grace, that when he thinks he hears people talking about spiritual things, it doesn't even cross his mind that it might get a little awkward that the person behind him might bark at him, that the person who was in line in front of him, that he'd also see them in the parking lot and they would just pass him off and not want to talk too because he was so excited, so willing, so ready to share about the one he was in love with because when you're anchored in God's love, you realize that as wonderful as it is to be liked, not make an awkward situation, we don't live for that. That doesn't define us, whether people like us or don't like us. As wonderful as it is to make money and do well in our careers, we don't exist to make money or do well in our careers. We are defined by the love and grace of God. And when we walk in that identity, it gives us the courage and the joy of sometimes suffering to make Jesus known so that we can find those hungry hearts who don't bark and bite, but who are desperate for Jesus. And they're desperate for Jesus not because of anything that we do. We're not the ones who can save anyone. 
They're desperate for Jesus because God is powerful enough to save them. When you and I got saved, it wasn't a person who saved us. Maybe a pastor prayed with us or a friend at work convinced us or a parent uh, asked us if we wanted to follow Jesus, but it wasn't them. It was God who ultimately prepared the people in our lives along the way to tell us about him. And then it was God who finally opened our eyes so that we could believe in him. And that's really important to remember as well if we want to continue on our mission of making Jesus known. Because otherwise, the, the burden is too heavy. It just seems too impossible. Do you ever feel like, I'm not even going to pray for that person because they'll never believe? Or what's the point of inviting them to dinner? They're probably going to say no, and I'll just feel awkward, so why don't I just skip it? And part of the reason that we get stuck and thwarted in our mission is because we think too much depends on us. And we forget that it's actually God who saves and not us. And when we remember that, it helps us to continue on our mission of sharing Jesus. We'll look at one last passage. It's Acts chapter 16. Don't you hate that when the pastor's like, go back to where you just were. So we'll read in Acts chapter 16, and we'll start reading in verse 11. And as we do, just listen to how we're reminded in this passage that it's God who saves, because he's the one who's powerful to save, not us. It says this, starting in verse 11. It says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samarath, and, follow, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who were there together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Theatra, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, her and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So they show up, and they're sharing the gospel, and it says, amazingly, there's one person who hears them, and it says... The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. There's so many scriptures we could look at that point to this same truth. That while we get to have the privilege of sharing Jesus with people, it's God who opens their heart. And it's God who ultimately saves and 
It's God from start to finish. Anyway, if you've ever heard someone share their testimony, oftentimes they'll talk about a number of Christians who they encountered throughout their life before they became a Christian. And oftentimes they'll just give glory to God by first saying, you know, God put this person in my life. And I kind of started thinking about Christianity. But it wasn't until later when God put this person in my life that some things started making sense. And then eventually, maybe they have this moment here that we get to read about. They're standing somewhere, doing something, and the events in their life are just so that someone says, hey, would you like to put your faith in Christ? And they say, they said, that's when I did. And you know, the whole story from beginning to end is just glory to God for what he did through his spirit, through his people who ministered to you all along the way. One of my professors in school said he showed up to teach his little Sunday school class at church one day, and he taught his class, and then someone came out to him afterwards and said, hey, I got a few questions for you. So he said, this guy asked me a few questions, and then he said, yeah, you know, I'd like to become a Christian. So he says, great. So, you know, they prayed together, and he joined their, their spiritual family there. He joined the church. He kinda, but what he said was, as soon as he walked away, he said a little crowd of people came up to him and said, oh, my goodness, You're, you won't believe. We've been praying for him for decades and inviting him for decades and loving on him and serving him for decades. And my professor said he had this like moment of realization of how much God was doing behind the scenes for so many years before he got to, you might say, reap the harvest in just that moment at the right time, in the right place. My professor, who used to take us out to share the gospel with students at various college campuses, he would remind us of that. He would say, you don't know the journey that God has these people on who you're going to talk to today. So even if they don't fall on their knees and repent, just know that God might use a spiritual conversation you have with them as an important step on the process until he gets them to the point where they're ready to surrender their life to God. And so when I read this passage and I was thinking about how impossible, it's how impossible I feel when I think of being Jesus to people around me and how I kind of just give up before I even start. I kind of imagined this scenario, reading this passage and thinking about how God's the one who saves I just imagine, Lord, what if, what if I muster through your conviction enough conviction to say a short prayer for this person who you could never save in my book, this friend who's not interested? And what if you want to use that prayer to encourage another believer at the park that day to just say hi to a stranger. And God, what if it's because you know that they have kids about the same age and he's been looking for some sort of extracurricular activity for his kids? And what if through the course of conversation he gets invited to their kids' Bible club and shows up? And what if he drops that kid off and drives away for 10 years until the kid's finishing the whole youth program? And maybe on one of the last few days, he meets another father there who he shares an interest, a hobby with. 
And maybe it's that father friend who shares a hobby and meets up for weeks and months and years who's there to catch him when he falls in his darkest hour, when he loses someone he loves, and the church sends him meals and sends him prayers and sends him cards. And maybe when he joins the group, the, the church's um, grief group, maybe it's there in one of those weeks where he finally surrenders his life to Christ. And so that kind of motivated me. It kind of reminded me of what I think we need to remember if we're going to continue on this mission and not just stop and say, it's impossible. I can't do it. And our enemy says, yes, I got him right where I want him. We got to remember that God is sovereign, that he put us where he put us so that we would know him. We've got to remember that he loves us and that, and that our identity isn't in being liked or loved or comfortable. And we have to remember that in the end, being a faithful witness doesn't mean convincing someone to become a Christian. It just means being a faithful witness and trusting that he will do the work. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your many reminders in Scripture, God. Um, thank you for reminding us of our mission, too. Only we could be so easy, easy to forget our mission, God, when we get distracted with so many other important parts of life, God. But may we remember that there is a reason why we're here, a reason why you haven't come back yet. And it isn't simply to enjoy life, but ultimately, Lord, is to take steps towards completing the mission you've given us. And that is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to know you, Lord, to commune with you so that we can be ready and willing to share your love and your grace with those who you put around us. And so, God, as we stand up right now to uh, just pour our hearts out in song to you, we just pray that you would be glorified in our thoughts and in our songs. And, um, and we thank you again for this opportunity to praise you because you are God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.